and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we discuss and review movies, trailers, TV shows, and pretty much anything pop culture related. My name is Ivan, and I'm joined today by my co-host, two-time Star Wars trivia contest winner and prominent sequel trilogy denier, Emmett. It never happened. It did. It's canon. You know it and just accept it, all right? No, it didn't happen. Ray is a Skywalker, too. I suppose you believe the Earth is round, too? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. My point exactly. Science is on my side, okay? Science well, is on my side in that one. <laughs> pure aggression and illogical decision-making is on my side, so guess who's going to win that one? Me. Me. But we, 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 can, we can table this discussion for another episode because it's, it's going to happen. All right. Um, Hey, WandaVision's right. not done yet. There's a we got we got a little bonus content this week. Dude, the the most anticipated episode of WandaVision has just aired today. And I think the most anticipated first episode in what looks to be a very very long-standing series this year. Long-standing because it's going to take at, it's going to take the full year to <laughs> complete this series because they can't release the episode until after the actual series of the show airs yeah and for those, anybody lost on this of course we're talking about marvel's assembled the making of wandavision i um, really i really enjoy these behind the scenes snippets we got a we got a good taste of it with mandalorian uh both seasons season one was definitely better because we got so many episodes of directors yeah. roundtables but season two was still really good to get those like behind the scenes bits Anytime we get any sort of behind-the-scenes look at any Marvel or Star Wars movie, I'm always 100% game for it. I think I mentioned this before on the show, but I really used to enjoy uh, pre-ordering and getting uh, those DVD movies anytime a new, any type, whatever movie I'd be into, I'd go to FYE right after the theater, get my little pre-order ticket thing, and as soon as the DVD came out, I'd rush home slap it into the ps2 or whatever dvd player i had laying around and the first thing i would do is not watch the movie but go into the special features seg- segment um uh, which has sadly disappeared i don't know if you buy any physical media still um i think it's been a couple years since i bought a blu-ray but they're not a, like those special features are not as prominent anymore yeah i was gonna say we we are definitely the same on that front where i loved watching like the commentary edits of the movies where you get like the actors or the directors on, on the mic talking about, and in this scene we did this and we couldn't stop laughing here at this part of it. I loved those. I loved all the like uh, cut scenes. Yeah. And it is sadly a, a, a portion of DVDs that are kind of going away, which I always thought was a lot of fun because it, it gets you to connect with the actor and not the character. Uh, so even if you didn't like the character, you could still like whoever was the person on the screen. It was a little bit of like a peek behind the curtain also. And just kind of like look at the segments of movie magic. Like I, I remember, um, and not to get too deep into it, right? But like we're, we're talking about behind the scenes episode here. <laughs> um, I don't, so I don't know if you remember any of this, but like when the prequel trilogy was coming out, um, LucasArts or Lucasfilm used to put up uh, little what they called webisodes, which was like five minute uh, deep dives into uh, Star Wars and whatever movie was present um, at that time, whether it was Revenge of the Sith or 
Attack of the Clones, and then like we they would go on to include those in the DVD. But I I, I love those. That that's like some of the best content. Um, it not only shows you, like you said, like connects you to the actors um, that are performing in in that particular movie, but it also shows you how the VFX works and stuff. And that kind of fueled my desire to get into the field. Was that the Jar Jar is the key? We need to get him working. Was that that bit? Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was one webisode. I like. I still I gotta dig them up, but I I think I still have the DVDs and the webisodes are still on there. Uh, they used to be up on StarWars.com, all of them, and I would always go back to them. The fuel for the Darth Jar Jar believers. <laughs> I still think there's some level. Oh yeah, no, a hundred percent. I'm I'm one of those believers. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Before we dig- get way too into weeds on that, um, we're talking about WandaVision here, and it's the I guess this is the first entry into a Disney Plus behind the scenes for a Marvel show. Because as you said, we, we've, we've gotten episodes for Mandalorian already. Yeah, I liked it. It was definitely more fast-paced than The Mandalorian, so kind of different than my expectations, but... Uh, still really enjoyable because you get so many side interviews and they cover pretty much every topic that we would want to learn about, whether it's set design or like all the way to theme songs or costume choices. Uh, it was really enjoyable to watch and get their takes of it, what it was like to be in the moment of it. Was there anything major that stuck out to you that, uh, resonated with you as a topic or just something you didn't even notice something that kind of stood out to me was you know again because i i'm a big fan of special features of stuff i don't think i've ever seen something this detailed for any of the marvel movies um maybe i missed a couple of them uh just because like i said i I don't think i've really collected them on in physical media but i think this is the first time I, i got to see the cast of of one of these Marvel shows talk in depth about their characters and just kind of see the excitement for themselves. Because usually we see the press junkets. Um, and, you know, you and I w- will talk about some of these, like anytime there will be a prominent one. But usually those are like stereotypical questions of like, oh, how was it like to film with this person? Or how was, you yeah, know, what's it's your... all they have scripted answers that yeah. they're allowed to say. And then they right. make a point to be like, oh, I can't talk about that. Like those are right. always like really faux and really fake but tayona paris i think was a big standout to me I was in this documentary say, yeah she seemed like genuinely happy to be there she seemed like she was super pumped about her role and uh, that's just one example that i'm like I, I it's just really nice to see that you know yeah and she had this great very simplified breakdown of why the show worked on a like good guy bad guy level uh, towards the end of the episode or the series or whatever we're calling it, um, where she was like, you feel bad for Wanda, then you think she is the bad guy, and then Catherine Hahn's character comes out and she's the bad guy, but then you have Hayward, and it's like, who are you rooting against and who are you rooting for? Because your, your heart is getting pulled in so many different directions, and you don't know, that like a lot of that is kept from you throughout the series so she did a great job of like really simplifying that down and just putting into words why this why the show worked 
Yeah, that and it, like it also reveals a lot of those. Like it was a very twisty show. Like you go from thinking one thing to the other, and I think if anybody were to go back and just listen to our commentary from episode one down <laughs> to nine, you'll see how much we flip flop too in terms of like, oh, I think it's gonna go this way, or oh, <laughs> I think this is happening, and like eighty percent of the time we're wrong, <laughs> but more. It has or to be more. you know. 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah, we were what? so off on a lot of things. There was a good little 10% area there between the 90 and the 100% where we were right on some things. Yeah, we live in that window. We live right there, and that's where I always want to be, I feel like. Because honestly, <laughs> this show has been such an example, like a great, um, I guess, like experiment for me in terms of like, I love um, being in the know of certain little details because it, like as a comic book reader, you you know some stuff that's going to come through, obviously, right? But this show deviated exactly in the points where you were really confident that you knew what was going to happen. And it's part of the process that was discussed in this documentary. It it was exactly that. It was like trying explaining and showing how they wanted, like it, it, it was this very simple thing. Like in, in essence, this was a tribute to the American sitcom. But then here we are as fans being like, oh, no, clearly they're aiming for this or they're actually referencing this or Mephisto's hiding right behind the curtain <laughs> when the whole time it was a very simplified concept uh, with some very heavy detail in terms of paying tribute to those formats. Yeah, one that we never talked about that now seems so obvious after Elizabeth Olsen had not talked about it in this show was the Twilight Zone effect and just how they like the angles of different shots and like small problems or, or this oddity in, in their reality is, is like the best way to just cause like unease and create dilemmas and, and give a reason to advance the story. I never really connected it to, um, to that. And it kind of strikes me as odd that this is just now kind of, popping into the foreground for me but there, what, is there an episode of twilight zone right where some kid is holding a whole town hostage is yeah, that i don't really know twilight zone that well i just know like the style of shots and like some of the broad topics i never really like i feel like that was before me and i didn't have enough appreciation for cinema to to watch it i should probably go back and try those out it's called it's a good life it's uh, I, I think um you should be able to find it on, on YouTube or something. But it's... I'm trying to remember. It's like this kid has like these godlike abilities. He can read people's minds. And he basically threatens to, in modern terms, cancel somebody <laughs> if they don't obey what, what he wants them to do. So it just kind of rings back true to me. Like, yeah, there was some heavy uh, Twilight Zone. Um, but it was also like the, like the Mr. Heart choking bit. They seem to have focused a yeah. lot on like that episode particularly in this in this um behind the scenes look but it was like the angle of the shots were so unsettling i mean along with the stop it stop it (laughs) yeah that i i was honestly i was a little bit um surprised at just how into the sitcom vibe they got because obviously you see it in the in the end the end result right like once we get to watch the show you're like oh well clearly they're mimicking the sitcom bit but there, there was no need for them to do it on the production end and they did they had a 
live studio audience, which was kind of a shock to me. <laughs> so I guess that laugh track was not generic then, right? I was going to say, I was that was one of the big surprises for me, is that they actually had a live audience, which is kind of a bold choice for Marvel, because they're so about keeping secrets. And I don't know, it takes one idiot in the crowd to leak what they saw or just like snap a photo or something like that. I'm sure they had precautions on that where it was like collect the phones before or whatever it was. But, uh, but yeah, it was a genuine crowd reactions and I thought it was a laugh track, but I liked that they did that. And they also even went like a step further and had the audience dress in like 1950s apparel, as well as all everyone who worked on set uh, whether you're in in front of the camera or behind it, uh, just to get everyone into that mindset. I thought it's like a little bit neurotic, but it's also very impressive, and um, I commend it. I, I was waiting for something in-universe when we were watching the show to to figure out, like, she's been puppeting all these, like, you know, uh, uh, like a studio audience is actually her puppet or something. But <laughs> it never happened. And so to, like, think now that there was a studio audience legitimately there the whole time, for those, at least for those first couple episodes, I'm pretty sure it wasn't the case for everything, right? But it, it's kind of funny to to look back on it. So I, I rewatching this show, I don't think I can look at any of those episodes the same way again. I feel like there's kind of a newfound appreciation for it. Yeah, for that, and also the, like everything they covered in this show really gives you another level of appreciation. Um, one thing that really stuck out to me, and we were talking about it a little bit, was how the theme songs have been stuck in our head all day after watching this because they put so much uh, attention into those where each one had to be era appropriate. It had to fit with the story. It had to be, you know, uniquely composed. And then it was only going to be used once. And (laughs) it's very impressive how much effort and time went into those and how spot on they nailed it, I thought. Yeah, they they definitely went all out. And like I said, at least, there, there's a level of it that you could have done, um, like just kind of shooting it in a certain way and, and keeping it. But anything from like the set design down to the multi-camera angle, they really, really committed to the bit. And it, it shows in the end result. Uh, and I think that more, more than anything else, it's like I never thought we would see something like this in the MCU. So... I'm I'm glad they went through it. I thought I thought it was a very nice little experiment they went through there. Uh, but it's definitely, you know, I I I, w- I was happy to see the amount of effort that they've put. And obviously this uh, also kind of a little bit revealing, but it seems like they shot at least half of the show right before the uh, COVID pandemic. I, I was gonna say it looked like the uh, I'm blanking on their names, but the people who wrote the theme songs. It looks like their interview was done in a COVID world because they were doing like an online interview. Yeah. Or maybe that's just how they were recorded. But I I imagine they would have been closer to the set, but I guess that could all be done remotely. Yeah, no, I I think I think you're right, because uh, some of the stuff that I had heard was that they had not finished shooting it. And a little bit of a tidbit here, but like I know now the uh, director for the series is actually doing a whole bunch of interviews. Uh, so kind of relating back to this uh documentary on it he's commented that there was a whole episode that was scrapped for them because they had a they they had to readjust the way that they were doing things because of travel restrictions and because of the pandemic so we were actually supposed to get a doctor strange cameo but because the travel restrictions between the uk and and the us 
um, it was unable. They were unable to film that shot, which is why you just have that call out in the last episode to to the character. Um, and then there was supposed to be a reveal of uh, of the rabbit, Agatha's rabbit, actually being some sort of demon. Um, and there was supposed to be a whole sequence between Ralph, uh, Monica, and the kids trying to get the Darkhold book from Agatha's basement. And that whole sequence was cut out, too. We could have saw Ralph. That's all I wanted this whole show. <laughs> <laughs> Give us more Ralph. But no, it, 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 but it is interesting. And like looking at the documentary, you look back on it and you're like, all right, well, there definitely was a period of time pre-COVID when this was shot and obviously they weren't able to complete it because as you go through the documentary like you said the interviews go from being on-set interviews to then being offset remote um so there was clearly a little bit of a, a disturbance there because of the situation yeah one other thing that really stuck out to me in this episode was that was paul bettany's take on the show I, I don't know what it is. I just love when he talks. It's probably the British accent. But <laughs> he also has like such a great eye and a mind for analysis. And him talking about how this show is groundbreaking because of what it's been doing. But it's also not. It's kind of... It sticks to the Marvel formula uh, a little bit. Where all the Marvel show, like all of Marvel movies, have always been interconnected. So it's kind of been like all the movies were a really long series over time. Yeah, I think because, he called it like episodic, right? Right, he did, and he's exactly spot on that a show like these series that uh, Marvel has green, uh, greenlit makes sense in a way because you get to develop these characters that you haven't seen that much. And we've talked about that before, so it's not like it's anything groundbreaking, but it, it's a it's awesome just to get it from an inside perspective, someone someone who's working so close to it. Yeah, he definitely gave off the the whole explanation that like in terms of like franchise and, and and what they've done with it, like nobody's attempted to do something like this, and this is just like another extension, um, mirroring what they've been doing with the with the movies because yeah it is very episodic like you jump from one avengers movie to like a solo captain america movie and you feel the repercussions and so this is kind of this in the same vein following that kind of trajectory something i really liked about this that you know i i, th- I think that you and i maybe kind of saw this before but like when, when we were talking about the situation with uh quicksilver <laughs> the, the the revelation of of ralph boner in the in the last episode I think threw everybody for a loop and to see Evan Peters um, in this documentary and just kind of like getting his thoughts on, on, on being there. It was it was always meant as a meta joke from them because that's what he kind of comes out to, to say. So it was it was interesting to get their take on it and and see just how like it like again, it was such, such a basic little premise. It was just like a wink and a nod to, to fans. But uh, because of the levity of that character and because you're using the same actor that played Quicksilver in the Fox universe, people just became very like entangled with the idea that there's more to it than, than meets the eye. Yeah. It was definitely just a, a troll for fans because it gave us an opportunity to read into something that didn't need it. They could have picked any actor to be Quicksilver in this, but I love that they did that because we both love Evan Peters so much. Uh, and it was funny that Wanda called him the uncle Jesse role. Uh, just another tie to 
um, Full House, which her sisters were on, obviously. So I I didn't really relate him to that. I thought more of because he came in in the 80s era slash mostly in the 90s. I always I was picturing him more in the um, what was the oldest brother in Malcolm in the Middle's name. Francis. Francis. Yeah, I always pictured I, I had pictured him more in that role where he's. I know he is the uncle, so Uncle Jesse probably makes more sense, but <laughs> I, yeah, he, I can't get past the Malcolm in the Middle bit. Yeah, he did give me a, a Fran- like a mix of Reese and Francis from Malcolm in the Middle. I feel like that's the makeup of his personality, more so than Uncle Jesse. Yeah, because Uncle Jesse was just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> he was so, well, Maybe he gave off some vibes in the introduction to his character there, but definitely not in the follow-up episode. I feel like that act was kind of dropped a little bit. Yeah, I think the last thing maybe we should talk about uh, that I'm sure you had a pretty big appreciation for was the set designs. I mean, they did so many se- uh, sets that were inside a studio, so kind of easy to do. The one that really was impressive was that they like rented out a town <laughs> in Los Angeles, and they only had they could only shoot for a couple days, and then they would have to leave and then come back for, and shoot for a couple days, and the the time between filming was only like, like 12 hours they said so they would have to redo the entire town from a 50s look to a 60s to a 70s and it's not like they shied away from showing the town they showed the town pretty much every episode so it's very ambitious and very impressive what they were able to accomplish there yeah i'm i'm wondering how, what that's what that schedule looked like cuz I, I feel bad for their pas i'm sure oh some gosh. of them would ha- would have had to stick around for like 16 hour days to get all that worked out but yeah there there was a lot and like as as a guy who's worked on set um on a number of different projects beforehand i i just like that's where my mind goes to I was like god damn i'd like to see their production schedule cuz that that's a massive undertaking although you know, it's it's Marvel, it's Disney. I'm sure their budget kind of allotted for certain, um, you know, like perks on it. Like there, sh- there probably was some sort of like added bonus to getting it done by a certain time. But um, yeah, there, there was a lot of moving pieces there, and it was impressive. And even more so, maybe even more so impressive was the fact that of how much they did with a single set, um, how much they were able to rearrange everything with the with the house, like setting up Wanda's house from in the 80s to 90s feel and yeah. having all that done in the same space instead of like keeping one thing and just having it up just from a production standpoint it's just going to take a long time to set all that up so it was it was definitely impressive to see yeah because you're not just setting it up you also have to take down what you've already had or used so yeah it's very ambitious what they were able to accomplish did you notice some of the like the they would give us little tidbits of like looking at uh, additional scenes with Tayona Paris or uh, with Catherine Hahn. Uh, it seems like there was a lot of scenes that were cut out from the episode that maybe gave us a little bit more um, insight into these characters. Like there was one scene I could recall in particular. There was a couple lines of dialogues when they were um, talking about uh, Monica Rambeau and her and interviewing Tayona Paris for her role. Uh, there was a scene where she's talking to Wanda about getting some sort of promotion. I don't recall seeing that in the episodes. No, that was there. Was it there when she was talking about getting a, a full-on promotion? She needed something, like yeah. she needed more office supplies. How did I miss that then? Yeah, her boss was like choking, and then he helped her. I, which is actually pretty funny because oh no, he, her boss had the hiccups, and she had to like try and scare him or something like that. It was some some stupid story. 
Yeah, it was there. It was forgettable because we were all focused on Wanda in that moment because she was that was when she was like full on pregnant and was about to have the kids. Yeah, I got to go back and rewatch that though because that, that kind of struck me as I was like, I don't remember that dialogue from it. But yeah, it, it, if it was during the sequence where she's trying to cover up her pregnancy, then I was probably distracted by that. Yeah, uh, no, that definitely happened because it was it was Wanda and then the stork was going on in the background and she was like, we were pretty preoccupied with that. And this that story from Monica was just like, all right, can you get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree. I do want to rewatch because there are going to be so many things that we missed that were foreshadowing moments that make sense now or maybe we just get a better or bigger appreciation for that we maybe noticed back on the first watch that we just didn't really get to appreciate now. Uh, so I, I want to rewatch this in like one binge weekend kind of thing. Definitely. Me too. I, I, I think the last thing I guess on my mind was just getting that perspective from the actors. Cause it seemed like everybody enjoyed being there. It seemed like everybody enjoyed their role, but hearing Paul Bettany talk about his evolution in the MCU from being invited yeah. by John Favreau to, voice um what he what he said was a very boring voice um for the to be the voice of jarvis um and having him like that kind of like i guess kind of like upticked my mind to remember that he's been a part of the mcu since the very beginning he's the only actor to be in all four phases of marvel that's crazy to me (laughs) that is insane but it's such a bump for him. Like you go from being the just like a voice actor for this one gig that you're just doing it for your your director friend, right? And then it turns into a physical role down the line for you, which then it seems like it's opened up the doors a lot. I think right after I think it was Avengers Two that we saw him um, on solo. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard his story about like being told he'll never make it in the business. Yeah, I've I've heard that in a couple of uh, the interviews that he's done. Yeah, he he really loves to tell that story in interviews. I guess like it's a very easy one to tell, but it's also very impactful of his history, where a producer was like, "You'll never make it in this town. You're done. You're washed up." And then he's like, "Hey, watch it. Like you never know. Like this is a town of second and third acts. You never know. Like I can I can make a comeback." And then he walked out, and his like legs were jelly, and he fell on the curb, and. Then he got a call that he could be Vision in in the Marvel movies, and then he was like, "Wow, that's great timing." Uh, <laughs> totally butchering that paraphrase, but it, it's in basically every interview he gives. But I love that. I love the resiliency of him, and I love that they kept him because he's so perfect for it. Like we all grew up watching Marvel with his voice because Iron Man was kind of the best because it was the first, and Jarvis was a major role in that. Yeah, I'm. I, I miss when it became Friday. I think, right? Like you hear the different um, AI. <laughs> Ultron, was, right? Cause yeah, I was like, no. That's when Jarvis is no more. Yeah, then it became Friday. He actually R. died. R. Like Jarvis died in that movie, right? <laughs> Technically, <laughs> so he's died so many times. Yeah, he's still out there though, as part of the Vision now. <laughs> uh, I saw an article that said. He is Vision, but not Wanda's Vision, like not her guy. So he's not the one that like got her pregnant, so to speak. So that's kind of what I think the ship of Theseus bit was saying. Like you can put it together and you can call it that, but it's not the same. Yeah, this is Vision 2.0 with all the upgrades that Wanda could ever it's hope more, to have. It's more like Vision 
iOS 14.0. It's it's had a few iterations, but yeah, no, it's not the same vision. So I don't think they might, they might do like a romantic play at one moment of like, Oh my gosh, I, I didn't know that you survived or that you're here or like, are you really you? But I don't think they're going to amount it to a relationship. They might. Who knows? In the comics, they definitely rekindled the relationship after his death and resurrection. You know who was absent from this episode? Hayward. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was those travel restrictions. But you could do a remote <laughs> interview. Like, he was a major part of this. I guess shooting at children is frowned upon. Right. So. <laughs> He was really hated at the end of that episode. Well, it's also like it goes back to what um, Tayona Paris was kind of saying, too. It's like you technically don't have a straightforward villain in this show. It's a lot of people you could kind of spin as a villain. But yeah, they're um, all trying to do good, but in an evil, like evil way. Like, yeah, Catherine Mann's character wants to do good to rid the world of Scarlet Witch, but she's trying to absorb the powers for herself. Monica. Wanda wants to do good to like have vision back in her life, but she forces everyone to live out her will. Hayward wants to like regain his prop- property and bring it back to life for protection, and he is like manipulating people and ends up shooting at children. So everyone has good intentions or <laughs> like a good reasoning to do what they're doing, but then they just do it in such an evil way. He wasn't as prom like he wasn't as a a big of a role in the end as I kind of thought he would be. But yeah, it, it definitely is interesting that he wasn't a part of this uh, documentary. It also like I gotta wonder like maybe they planned a, multiple episodes of this before the uh, pandemic and before everything kind of happened. So maybe they they intended to kind of spread this out more so like the season one of Mandalorian behind the scenes thing. But they didn't get a chance to to do it all the way. Yeah, that or maybe like 10 minutes extra of footage or anything like that. Because they did explore a lot on the Dick Van Dyke episode. Yeah, it seemed they, like they had a lot more footage of it like when they shot pre-COVID versus after. When they rushed into the ending, yeah. But uh, I think we can call it there. Uh this isn't a mandatory watch by any measure, but it's definitely an enjoyable one if you are into like the behind the scenes or the making of, uh, or even just getting to watch you know the chemistry of these actors off screen and how it played into the on screen. I highly recommend it just because I'm into it, and Ivan, you're probably the same, right? Yeah, and it's and it's only it's like less than an hour of a commitment to 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 watch. So I the longest think WandaVision old. episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh damn! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Oddly enough, but yeah, I think it was it was really good. It was really enjoyable, um, and especially for anybody who's like a huge fan of the MCU, it's it's nice to have some of that insight uh, shared. So definitely or recommend. If you just want to hear Catherine Hahn cackle an extended <laughs> period of time, you get you get a few scenes of that. <laughs> that too. Uh, but if you think we missed anything, or if you want to, you know, talk about your favorite parts of of this assemble episode. Feel free to hit us up on Twitter at BT Fourth Wall for being 4th. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.